Hey everyone, Michael Antonovich with another installment of the Midweek Podcast, presented by Yoshimira R&D. Every now and then I'll ring up someone in the sport and we'll talk about what we see happening around the pits, on the track, or in the retail space. For this episode, I got in contact with Dave Prater to discuss the start of the 2022 Monster Energy Supercross Championship. Prater has been part of Supercross for decades, and his current role as Senior Director of Operations for Two Wheels at Feld Entertainment means he's involved in almost every aspect of the series, from team relations and tour scheduling to television broadcasting and social media strategy. Prater's input is especially important now, as Supercross is in the beginning of a new era. The organization has experienced its share of setbacks and successes since 2020, a chain of events that made Feld Entertainment reassess plans for future growth, improve their connection to the paddock, and gave them a chance to try things like Tuesday night races. Ultimately, Feld Entertainment decided it'd be in the series' best interest to end their working agreement with the FIM and return to a 17-stop tour of venues exclusively in the United States, with races managed by the AMA and happening in the usual Saturday evening time slot. The next five years will be an important time for SX as the series has a chance to draw in new fans through the ongoing surge in power sports, the personalities and skills of the racers, and the possibilities offered by social media and streaming platforms. The launch of a new global series with FIM support is a development that Feld Entertainment expected and will have to contend with, but none of that seems to stress out Prater. He believes the Monster Energy Supercross Championship is in its best place in years and that it can only get better from here. Thanks for listening to the Midweek Podcast. We're still shaking out the details for this one, so feel free to share comments or recommendations on what you'd like to hear. As always, be sure to like, subscribe, follow on social media, and visit SwapMotoLive.com. Thanks for listening. You probably already know that Yoshimira makes the best exhaust options for Honda motocross and off-road bikes, but did you know they make really good power for your Yamaha, Kawasaki, KTM, Husky, or Gas Gas? Yoshimira has been delivering power since 1954 and can make your bike run and sound the best it can. Visit them at yoshimira-rd.com to see how they can make your bike bark. Okay, hey Dave, it's good to see you. Uh, it's been a hectic month already, um, all the things that have been going on in the Supercross season. What have you made of these four races so far, the competitive aspect that we've seen, and uh, just how things are shaking out? I'm excited. I think along with everyone else in the industry um, and the fans, I think it, it's, it couldn't have been better really um, as a start. So we've had everything we've got. Um, I hesitate to say it cause I've said it so often, but it's, it's really true. We've got the deepest feel that I can remember um, in the past 20 years. Um, and, and it's just been exciting. The fans are back, it just brings, brings back that energy um you know starting back at anaheim you don't realize how important anaheim and a1 is to the sport and to the you know just the overall industry until it's gone and uh being back at anaheim um oakland and san diego with strong crowds um in all four so far uh, it's just been amazing and i don't think it's gonna get it's definitely not gonna get uh any any more dull it's gonna just continue to uh improve over the over the weeks to come uh, with everything that's going on, four different winners, tightest points race ever. For you in this position, especially as you watch the growth of the sport, has it been like an instantaneous upshift of people just can't wait to see this, ready to watch Supercross every weekend? Um, and for you, how exciting is that to see what that can do for the future now that you have such a talented roster of guys, the future that's out there, uh, the wide open possibilities with media, all these things that are happening. I mean, this is 
exactly what you guys have built towards these last few years. Yeah, it's always been the goal. And I mean, obviously we don't control everything. No one controls everything. Um, this is a true sport. So it's, uh, you never know, um, what the parody is going to be like year, year after year, but, um, you know, we've got incredible parody right now. And I think, um, there's a lot of people out there that could try to predict who's going to win this weekend, who's going to win next weekend, who's going to win the championship. But, um, if they're honest, they have no idea because, uh, I, I think something that I've noticed over the first four rounds, and, and I don't know if anyone else has picked up on it, or if I'm sure they have, but they haven't spoken to me about it, is you watch 450A practice qualifying, and it's it's just different. Mm -hmm. Like it just you can almost feel their attitudes. Like in the past, you would feel like there were a pecking order was established really early on, if not A1. And it's round five this weekend. And I don't believe that pecking order has been established. I don't believe that, you know, those top eight to 10 guys um, feel like they're settling in at second, third, fourth place right now. I think they still believe they can win this thing. Mm -hmm. And really they can as tight as the, as tight as the points are. So um, it's fantastic. And, and, you know, that's what fans want. That's what, um, that's what sport is. That's why you watch because you never know what's going to happen. And um, you know, all of us love Supercross, but in the past, when you you were going into Glendale and you knew, you know, more than likely you got one, two, three, four guys that were going to win it. Um, now it's wide open, so I think it just uh, obviously it creates excitement each and every weekend. It's funny you mentioned that 450A practice thing because I think the same deal. You can tell every week who's the first guy to race it into the first turn. So he's different. Everybody's got a different mm -hmm. strategy of where they're going to line up. But then like that last three minutes is the coolest period of like almost the entire day. Cause the guys like check up, they start coasting, they find out where they're going to get on their siding lap and then find out where they are in that flow. And then they just send it. You can hear the whole dynamic of the stadium shift. Cause the bikes are low revs. They're just kind of doubling through stuff. And then when everybody hits it all at the same time on that last lap, it just erupts. And yeah, I mm -hmm. completely agree. You have guys watching the clock because they all think in that last 45 seconds, they're going to get on the scoring tower. It's awesome. Um, agree i and that as a fan and i would encourage fans to get there and watch it like especially if you're you know you're really into support, it yeah and you, you know what to look for it's just it's amazing to watch it's hard to articulate um it but it's you can feel it you mm -hmm. can feel mm -hmm. it uh coming into this weekend this is the first triple crown first one that we've had in a while so this has been a big year this is something that i really wanted to talk to you about getting back to normal and everything. Um, what was it like to represent these ideas to the teams? How openly receptive were they? And and what was the initiative behind a lot of it? No, they were all, they've all been great. Um, you know, we've continued this communication throughout COVID and all the teams have been receptive and open, um, very open-minded to, to everything, including bringing back the triple crown. Um, I think everybody's just excited. Like, it's almost creating this illusion that we're we're out of the pandemic and the reality is there's a lot of people working extremely hard behind the scenes to make it feel normal but each of these events and each of these areas that we race in um they all still have COVID protocols they all still have their local governments and health departments involved um but the fact that you know we've been able to go in as an industry and make it feel almost normal if not normal um, it's just a testament to the entire industry and how hard everyone's worked over these next, last two years. So, um, 
yeah, that's the goal. The goal is to, to make it feel normal again, to make it normal again and to continue to grow the sport and, um, you know, bring the industry along with us. You know, as you, uh, as you mentioned, the industry has done such a good job communicating this step back and forth. This has, I think, been the biggest learning lesson amongst the AMA, Feld, and then the teams through these last two and a half years was everybody kind of came together because you had to rely on each other. Uh, it's great to see that relationship and those open communication lines still going on, um, especially because you guys are in, entering such an interesting point. You know, teams now understand the way that they have to capitalize on every sponsorship opportunity, where the future of their team lies, who the next riders are. You guys are trying to develop who the next stars are for the sport to market them to fans. It's a big thing going on now that you guys all have that same synergy to work towards a common goal that I think there for a while, there was a lot of doubt that that was happening. Now to see it all kind of playing forward and the progress that's been made over the last few years is a huge, huge piece that we needed of this puzzle. Yeah, no, I agree. I think in the past, um, you know, we all, we're, we're all busy. We're still all busy doing our own separate things. So race teams are working on trying to win races and they're focused on that. The AMA is working, they're officials and they're working on the rules and officiating and, and dealing with challenges as far as um, infractions. And then we're, we're trying to sell as many tickets and grow the sport and, and uh, you know, increase viewership on television and streaming. So we were we're all in our own silos, but the last two years have really been. If COVID has a bright spot, it's the fact that we all got together and we all started working together. Um, not just the Supercross industry, but the moto industry in general. And you know, MX Sports, like MX Sports and Feld, in the past were looked kind of. I think people thought they were we were at odds, and we 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 weren't really at odds. We just didn't work together. Um, as much as we should have. So, you know, when COVID hit and Kerry Coombs and Davey and MX Sports creating the Safe to Race Task Force, and we were a part of that and just really just accelerated that cooperation across the board with teams and AMA and, and Feld and, like I said, even MX Sports. It's just been, it's been refreshing um, that we're all pulling in the same direction now and we all share our ideas and share our individual goals and, and are helping each other achieve those goals together. Four races in, um, like you said, it feels like normal to be back at some of these rounds. Anaheim one, I feel was a little light as people were trying to test the waters and see what was really going to happen. Oakland was good. The NorCal people always show out. Uh, it's just such a big stadium that it feels empty all the time, but it's always cool to see who comes to the Coliseum because it's, one of the more interesting races of the year. San Diego was packed. Uh, fun to get back there because really being in that one felt like, hey, this is on tour again. Like we are going to these destinations, these downtown areas that make Supercross racing so attractive to to fans. Uh, and then to go back to Anaheim last week, you could tell a major uptick in people that showed up. People I hadn't seen in like three or five years were running around the pit. So very, very cool to see where we're going right now. Um like you said, though, there's still things that we have to figure out, you know, coming into the East Coast races, things are going to be different than California is right now. And and good of you guys to already have that messaging out there with the team. So everybody knows, hey, this is this is what's expected, not like they're getting blindsided, like they used to say that they could feel like. Yeah, definitely. And it's going to be we've continued that. And luckily, um, at the moment, there are no, you know, real bogeys on the horizon um, as far as teams and, and events. But there are little, little, um, little details that we're going to have to deal with each and every week. Um, but we'll continue to communicate that. And 
I think everyone, you know, they go into like this weekend, they're going to go into Glendale knowing that here's what we're doing. It's, it's basic, typical protocol from Anaheim. Mm-hmm. So um, not much has changed there. Okay. Uh, how stressful were those last like two weeks of December before Anaheim won? Cause I was stressed, like not wondering if I was going to go to Anaheim, but for you that you're the end all be all. Uh, so I could only imagine how tense that was after all the, you know, all the work through the summer to see where everything was and that have like one last big hurdle. Yeah. It's funny. Cause I think, um, you know, unfortunately we've kind of gotten used to it over the last two mm-hmm. years. So, um, at some point you just, you prepare and put all the work in. And then at some point you just roll with the punches. So we knew we were shooting for that January 8th date. Um, if something came up, we were still going to get it in. It may have been January 9th, 10th, whatever it may be, but we were going to get it in. Um, we've always, uh, since we had to cancel that first round in Indy, that's been our mindset. We're going to get these races in, um, no matter what we have to do. So, I was comfortable. I knew that, yeah, we may have some hurdles to jump over, but we've done it in the past and we're going to, we're going to make it happen. So it was really not as stressful as, uh, as people would believe just because we've been through it and we feel like we're veterans at this point. Mm, okay. Okay. Good to hear. Uh, going into Anaheim one, uh, when the lights went off in angel stadium, you guys added those smoke machines. Those are a nice touch. It really adds to the atmosphere of the stadium for that. Uh, but you guys have really done a lot of cool stuff. You can tell that the whole presentation of each Saturday is a little bit different now. Race Day Live, the graphics that you guys have, the the camera feeds, the crew that's on it, to the NBC Peacock, you know, television package that's going on. Everything feels like a little bit more elevated, the sparklers behind the podium. What was it like to kind of come up with these ideas over the last two years and then to see them be implemented and what the decision is behind them? It was great. Um, you know, we were talking before that it was so on march 14th when we had to cancel indianapolis um really and we unfortunately had to cancel felt entertainment had to cancel monster jam disney on ice uh, jurassic world live all of these properties um we became a super cross focused company like super cross was it and um obviously we were we were focused heavily on just getting those final seven rounds in in 20 and then getting back out there in 21 and how we could do that. Um, but at the same time, we have a lot of just incredibly smart and creative people here who were able to focus and shift their focus to solely Supercross. And so during that time, we had a lot of focus on Supercross and how we could elevate it and how we could elevate the experience and the energy in the stadium. And, um, you know, really it's testament to just those folks that really just dug in and when they, when they didn't have anything else to focus on, um, they brought it off for Supercross. So it was incredible to really go through that, even though I wasn't the one actually planning all of those individual things, like you said, the smoke and lasers and additional fireworks and stuff like that. But it was just incredible to be a part of that, listen to all of it, and then to see it come to fruition, especially after being through what we've been through the last year and a half um, with, you know, either no fans in Salt Lake or limited capacity in 21. Um, It was just extremely gratifying to see Anaheim and the lights go down and things get back to normal. Mm -hmm. Um, So very cool. I mean, that's part of it. You know, the opening ceremonies, that's... 
that's part of the show. I think that's even why a lot of people yeah. go to Supercross. The riders get excited about it. It's cool to see uh, that you guys still put so much into it, you know, because you know that's how you're going to hook fans in, especially fans that have never come to a race before. They're instantly going to be paying attention to those 10 guys that you introduce on the big screen. Definitely. I mean, you know, it's the major leagues, so let's treat it that way. And um, and that's the way we want to present it every week. You're a big sports guy. I think, I mean, everybody knows a couple years ago you had a different hat for every city we went to. You're into it. So for you to run a sports league the way you do, what kind of notes or inspiration do you take from the NFL, Major League Baseball, the NHL, NBA? What do you notice that they do? And then how often do those things apply to what we do? Or is it completely separate? No, I think quite often. I think, um, you know, I I am a huge sports fan. I'm a huge NFL fan, huge Major League Baseball fan, um, even NBA. But, uh, you know, we're always watching watching what they do, um, trying to stay out in front of our fans as much as we can. Um, I heard someone say one time that the brand who stays, who stays in front of their fans, the longest wins. So, you know, the NFL has done that with, um, with the draft and with the combine and with everything else outside of the season that they do just to keep people's attention and keep people's excitement. So I think you'll see kind of things like that in the future from us but they also follow the trends and they follow where people's attention is and people's attention is social media. Now YouTube, um, all this new media that's coming out. Um, don't be afraid of it. That's, that's where the attention is, especially the younger fans. So I think that's, you know, something huge to, to consider is, is growing the sport, growing the fan base while still servicing the core and not alienating the core. That's the challenge. And I think that's the challenge for, for everyone, for every league is how do we, how do we grow more fans without, you know, turning off the, the guy that's been a Colts fan for 40 years. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, that's the way we look at it. We look at it like, look, the other thing is there are not as many people who have raced dirt bikes or ridden dirt bikes, um, than who have, you know, played little league football or baseball or basketball. So that's one of our challenges. But there are a lot of folks that have, you know, known someone that rode a dirt bike or ridden a dirt bike when they were a kid. And as soon as they're introduced to Supercross, um, the majority of people who are introduced for the first time become lifelong fans. So really, that's our goal is to introduce the sport to as many new fans as possible and use any any means necessary to do that. So um, obviously, social media is really where everyone's attention is right now. So that's a big focus of ours, but the broadcast um, linear broadcast, as well as streaming options and elevating those um, as much as we can. And then goes back to the live event. That's really the heart and soul of everything and, and elevating that and make sure, making sure that stays, um, you know, world-class. So that's, that's really our focus is let's, let's grow the sport and let's, um, you know, continue to bring the industry along with us. Okay. Um, like you mentioned, you know, growing on social media, growing on YouTube, you guys have done a very good job of that. Uh, when Daniel had me on the Beyond the Track series a couple months ago, I told him, you know, there was a little bit of resentment within the media circle when you guys started doing more stuff on YouTube because people thought, like, is Feld trying to be a media outlet? And my opinion on it always was, well, there's still NFL TV. They still have stuff through CBS Sports. They still syndicate, you know, the brand that owns the series is always going to have total control over the media uh, rights of it. 
If they can build on that, anybody else that can follow in their wake as a very core endemic media is going to grow from it too. Uh, but like you said, it's going to be hard to please everybody. Um, what you guys have on some things is not going to make everybody happy, but I really have to applaud you on you know, the YouTube presence, these 24-7 recaps, the Anaheim One stream. You're really trying to just get it out there to people to show them, hey, this is the content that's there, uh, which has got to be difficult in this day and age because quality and expectations are so high um, and you're trying to appeal to so many people, yeah. And then still having a partner like NBC, that's huge, you know, but they're still going to have their standard of success and what they expect of you guys too. Right. And, and the fact that we have such a young demo, which is huge. I mean, our demo, they're, they're young, 18 to 34. Mm -hmm. And I would argue that's getting younger um, every year. And I have two little kids. I have a 10 year old and a 12 year old and they don't watch television. They watch YouTube. That's Mm -hmm. it. And so that's, that's who we need to reach. We need to start growing these young fans now because they're our fans of the future. Um, while still servicing, you know, fans that are my age and your age. So you've got to hit hit on all cylinders and make sure you're casting the widest net possible. How important is the NBC relationship? Because some people think it's just NBC and it's whatever. This is a booming company. This is something that touches all assets. They handle streaming. They handle a lot of things for you guys. And that's millions of eyeballs every night that you guys are able to sell to advertisers, that you're able to benefit to the teams and the OEMs. That's an important partner to have. There's a reason that you guys always go back to a traditional mainstream broadcasting company. Definitely. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. They're a partner. So um, it's it's a mutually beneficial relationship. They they have our media rights. They can go out and sell against our media rights and our, our broadcast. But we have the same thing. They have such a large reach to your point. So not only do they have NBC and their um, linear channels, but They've got Peacock and everything else that comes along with that, as well as their YouTube channel. So, again, it goes back to casting the widest net possible, trying to get the most eyeballs we can in order to grow the sport um, and benefit everyone in the industry as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, F1 has seen this major uptick in fan, you know, audience size, everything, interest, communication, dialogue, all of those things uh, because of the Drive to Survive series. For you guys, have you seen even a little bit of uh, – second wind because of that because now people are so into racing and you guys have a lot of the same things young dudes with some of the same sponsors having the same following and something just as like high-paced and risky and you know attractive and all these same things yeah definitely i I don't know exactly if i can equate the residual benefits of it but i know that obviously we're looking at something like that because again if you can if you can tell the stories of this sport to people who don't know what it is. I mean, people connect to people. So people connect to the human element in Drive to Survive, and that really sucks them into the sport. And I think Supercross, you said it, like Supercross is, it's the same. They're young, just energetic, athletic individuals, and people are going to, and they have their own, they have triumphs and they have struggles. And people are connected to that. People, people, um, are drawn to that. So I think you'll see that and we're working on, you know, different things like that, that we could do for shoulder programming. Um, again, just a, another way to touch people, another way to bring them into the sport. Okay. Going more into the race format of things now, uh, like this weekend is a triple crown. You guys did tweak some things. You tried some midweek races last year. What was the decision to go back to an all Saturday format and to drop in the, the format changes in the rounds 
the return to Atlanta, the multiple East Coast, West Coast shootouts. I mean, what is the decision behind these things that you guys see um, being so successful every year? Really, we do a lot of, so something I don't think people understand is we do a lot of fan surveys. Um, some folks watching this interview have probably received some of those fan surveys. So um, really, that was that was what was behind the decision. Um, as far as not, not necessarily the Tuesday races, um, the Tuesday races were fine and they worked given the environment, the fact that we only had a certain number of venues that would allow us to hold an event. Um, so it was a necessary thing to do, but, um, you know, Tuesdays are hard for a lot of people. It's depending on where you live and your proximity to the racetrack. Um, it may have been tough to get out there on a Tuesday night and you had to get back and get to work Wednesday. So, um, they were great. They worked, um, for what they were, but Saturday is where it's at. Um, our fans were overwhelmingly, um, in favor of Saturday events and, um, like you mentioned the triple crown, I think 81% were in favor of us going back to three triple crown rounds. So, um, again, we don't, we don't make decisions in a vacuum. Um, not only are we talking to the industry and our sponsors and NBC and our television partners, whoever that may be throughout the years, we're also doing these fan surveys. So, um, you know, you have to, you have to, you can't make decisions without, especially something significant like that without knowing that you've got the support of the fans behind you. How fun is it for you to run the business? I mean, probably when you started 20 years ago in this position and, and in the company and, and working on this project, did you ever expect that you were going to be the guy overlooking all of these things? And they're like, it has to be so interesting, but not what people would maybe even expect it would be. Yeah, no, it's super fun. Um, you know, some days are better than others, as you can imagine, but, uh, even on my worst days, you know, I work with dirt bikes. So my, my worst days are still great days. Uh, it is, it's different. Um, I think, you know, it's a business and you have to run it like a business. Um, and every major sports league is a business and it's, it's tough. It's tough to understand that sometimes as a fan, um, even, even myself, I'm a huge NFL fan, major baseball fan. Like I said, um, I'm passionate about a few teams. And, and when those teams make decision or the league makes decisions that I don't necessarily agree with, my first instinct is to, you know, ah, or argue with it or think of it. But the, a second later, I remind myself that, look, that's what these guys do for a living and they're there for a reason. They made that decision for a reason. Um, so who am I to judge that? But uh, it's great. It, that's what, that's what makes it, you know, so fun is the fact that people are passionate about what we're doing. And so being able to, you know, be a small part of that and, and help steward the sport that we all love um, so much is just, it's a true blessing. And I, um, you know, it's uh, something I don't take for granted. That's for sure. Dude, I have fun every Saturday. I think it's like yeah. the coolest thing to come in to see how same thing, passionate everybody is. I try to talk to everybody that's there, your security guards, like Owen, talk to those dudes. I mean, it's cool to see that everybody follows it. Everybody's just as into it. They live and die by it. You know, they know where they're going to be the next weekend. They enjoy the whole process of it. It's fun to see after the two years that we had that everybody's like, oh yeah, this is why I do this job. This is why it's so fun. This is why I want to dedicate 17 weekends to it. Yeah, no, I agree. We were just talking about, so we, we made all those changes with the broadcast and I think, I think, you know, but 
Feld actually produces the broadcast for NBC and we were doing, I spent a lot of time over the last couple of weeks in the television uh, compound and a guy named Doug Cabrera runs it for us. And uh, there's a bunch of people. We brought in a, a new guy, Ken Adelson and Steve Yaros, who's our senior VP of communications who oversees the television pro project as a whole. And it's just, it's amazing to be back there and everybody from Daniel Blair to the guy who was running cable is just excited and passionate about the sport. They're not just back there running cable. Um, I think it, you, once you've been there, like I said, once you've been there, even if it's once you just, it's something that you can't, most people can't just walk away from. Yeah. They become fans. There was a camera guy two years ago and he, his daughter works for KTM and uh, we're just walking around and talking. And he's like, Oh yeah, I love this. I love doing this. And I know how burly that job is for those guys because you got a manhandle this big 70 pound camera around all day. They got to run the cable to it, have somebody in their ear the whole time. Mm -hmm. They're not really watching the race and they're there for three or four days because they have to set up everything, but they love it. Your track crew guys love it. Those guys do that job because they are super fans of the sport and yeah. it's got to be cool to be surrounded by all those people, especially when things get a little bit difficult. Uh, things maybe don't go as easy as you think they should, but then you see that energy that's around there and it's got to be awesome to see. Agree. And that's, that's a good point. Like this is not an easy job for anyone who's ever done it, whether it's a live event side of it or the television side of it, it's, it's not easy. It's, um, you know, it's, you're working hard and you have to be passionate. So, um, it, it's key and it's just, it, it is, it's really refreshing to go in and see these guys that, you know, they're television guys that have given up gigs at the NFL or with the NFL or baseball to come do what we do with Supercross just because they enjoy it that much. Mm -hmm. Um, looking at, you know, how much you've been involved in the sport, you've been around really since the Jay Leno has MC and RC and Travis stuff on there. Where do you see the sport at right now? Uh, as far as popularity goes, that was really a, a crazy moment in time. But then again, I tell people, I just told Carrie Hart on this podcast a few weeks ago, you don't see any other sport with window clings for monster energy at gas stations. Like Moto is still in a very good place. The people that are supporting it, they make sure that the progress and that the sports identity is out there everywhere they can yeah no i agree i think we're in a really good spot um we'll never be satisfied um i don't think we'll ever be satisfied until we're you know up with the nfl and major league baseball but yeah. um we're gonna keep pushing but i think we're in a really good spot i think we've got some just like we said some crazy parody as far as the competition on the racetrack and then we've got some big personalities um who are out there as well and even some young personalities like jet lawrence um and so on that are coming out so i think we're in a really good spot and i think um the amount of just involvement with the riders on social media with like justin and doing bam tv and jet and his his TikTok following and and stuff. It's funny. I told someone the other day, my uh my 12-year-old son, I don't think he's seen Jet race more than two or three laps um in his career, but he's a huge Jet fan just because he follows him on TikTok. So mm -hmm. that I don't understand that. Um I'm trying to, but uh it just goes to show you like all these different ways that you can reach fans um today. And it's a challenge because everyone's attention is divided and everyone, you know, it's like, uh, 
you don't really know where to look. So um, you've always got to keep your finger on the pulse and and try to try to reach everyone where they are. Okay. Uh, you and I talked about this before we started this interview, and I'd be kind of lacking if I didn't ask you this question. Uh, over the last 18 months, we've seen a lot of changes within the organization of Feld. Uh, you guys separated from the FIM, a decision that was made to focus more on domestic events in the United States because you saw that's where the growth really could come. Yeah, there were aspirations to go global, but those didn't pan out, especially as the pandemic unfolded. But then once you guys separated from the FIM, that opened up an opportunity for someone else to take a World Supercross Championship. For Feld and the Monster Energy Supercross Championship as it is now, how are things? What kind of spurred those decisions? And what do you think of the possibility of competition that could come? I talked to Adam Bailey a few weeks ago. They had lots of positive things to say about Feld, but again, it will come to a point in time where you guys are having the same series in the same marketplace is going after the same riders, these same things. Yeah, no, it's not a concern. I mean, we knew when we, when we went away from the FIM, we knew that someone was going to pick up that label and run with it. And and we were ready for it. Um, You know, like we were talking two two years ago, roughly um, when COVID hit, it forced us to refocus. We refocused on the business and really sat down and, um, went through it and went through every different item. And we made the decision at that point that we were going to focus on our industry and the domestic OEMs. And we were going to um, align ourselves with them and with this um, Supercross, you know, world. And we were going to focus on the AMA and AMA Supercross. And um, we're still the world championship. Um, we still have the best riders in the world and that's, that's not going to change. That's been, you know, since 1974, we've had the best riders in the world. We've attracted the best riders in the world and, and that's not going to change. But, um, as far as the competition and, uh, and what Adam and team are doing, I, I welcome it. I think, uh, I think it'll be fine. But, um, like I said, this is where the best riders in the world are. Um, they've been here since the beginning of the sport and that will not change cool um as we talk about this going forward you guys really have a lot of long-term commitments monster energy has committed their support of the sport globally you guys are a major partner of that all these other things that are going on as sponsors see a changing dynamic and a changing marketplace what do they see in sponsoring supercross with you guys um well it really goes back to that international thing so um like you said, Monsters made this investment. They've made it globally. And really all of our partners make this investment globally because we may not race outside of the United States, but we reach outside of the United States. So we're we're streaming in um, over 135 countries around the world. We have television broadcasts, linear deals internationally. So I think that's really the goal is just to continue to focus to grow the sport, both domestically and internationally focus on what's important and let go of those things that may not be as important. So um, I think that's it in a nutshell. Okay. Last two questions. Where do you see the sport going in these next five years? You've laid out so many good plans. You guys have many initiatives there. Rider growth is booming because of the last two years. You guys are attracting a young fan base. You have all of the options for streaming internationally, domestically, major partner, where do you see the sport going and what do you hope for in these next five years? 
I don't see a slowing down for sure. I mean, to your point, I think, you know, amateur racing is, is booming at the moment. Um, I, I hate to keep saying there's all these uh, positives to COVID, but you got to look for the positive. Um, you know, we, you can't sell, they can't sell enough mini bikes. They can't sell enough motorcycles. So amateur racing is booming. Those fans, we've got to work at keeping those fans, keeping those kids on, on motorcycles and aside from that, keeping them um, engaged in the sport of Supercross, even if that's just as a fan. Um, so working with the amateur side of things, working with MX Sports um, much more to try to grow that grassroots fan base. Um, and just really, I don't, it's hard to say where we can go, but I really don't think there's a limit on our growth. I think, um, I think we're, we're set for um, big things over the next five years. And um, again, it's hard to say. I, I, I'll tell you, Michael, I just don't, I don't believe there's a limit. And I think over the next five years, the industry and the world are gonna be surprised at how quickly and how, um, you know, how quickly this sport can grow. Okay, I like to hear that. It gives me a lot of really good uh, motivation because I'm in this thing for the long haul and what you guys do is going to totally shape what I do too. Yeah. I think, you know, it's, it's cooperation and I think it goes back to that. And I think that's going to accelerate the growth and the fact that we've, we've got this now, obviously it's gone further back than the last two years, but these two years of really cooperating as an industry and we're all, we're all pulling in the same direction, as I said earlier. So I think it's going to accelerate everything. Um, and, and none of us are going to take our, take our hand off the throttle. Okay. What is your favorite part of your race weekend job? Is there any moment from flying in on Friday or Thursday when you get in? Is there a moment before the lights go off for opening ceremonies? Is it when you first get to the track on Saturday? Is it getting on the plane because you know you made it and you weren't late on Sunday morning to go home? Like, what is it about the weekend that you're just like, yes, that's what I love so much? Uh, you know what? It's hard to pinpoint one thing. Um, I love all those things you mentioned. Uh, right now, what comes to mind? Two two strange things, probably to to someone who doesn't know me. But um, I love watching 450A practice, like we talked about before, especially this year. Mm -hmm. I just love the dynamics between the guys. Um, and then also, every now and then, I don't get this opportunity every week, but I get the opportunity to Friday night after. Um, after most people are gone, I try to make my way up to the upper deck and just sit there before the lights go off and just take it all in, like remind myself why I started doing this, because this is something I love from the time I can remember, um, you know, three, four years old, I love motorcycles. And then uh, as soon as I could get into racing, I loved racing. And it just, it takes you back to that time when you're a kid and, and why you started. So, um, I do that whenever I can. And it's just, uh, I don't know, it's just, it's a special moment when I can get up there by myself and, and kind of take a breath and realize you're, you're living the dream. That's awesome, Dave. You know, what's so funny is I was just on a bicycle ride, like before I called you guys and we got on this and I was like, kind of formulating that question. I'd be like, well, what would my two answers be? And it's a 450A is awesome. That's my like, that's when it's just raw speed. Dudes are going uh -huh. for it. It is nothing like that. And then same thing, those Fridays uh, on press day when it's just a handful of dudes prepping the track, making sure the last banners are out there, that the pyro is going to go off. 
uh, Friday night at Angel Stadium. I had to run from the photo den all the way around to home plate and then go up to record something. And it was just me in the stadium. And I looked out and it was all lit up and it was sunset behind me. I'm like, this is the coolest thing ever. This is something I've dreamed about my entire life. So the two things you said, I know exactly what you mean. When you talk about that moment to just kind of reflect and that moment where you're like, these are the best dudes on dirt bikes anywhere in the world right here, right now. Yep. It's, it's the coolest thing ever, man. Yeah. It is. Cool. Hey, Dave, thanks. This is fun to talk to you. I really appreciate how much you and Mui uh, are open and talking to us about this. I read so much stuff about other sports leagues. Like you said, you know, Roger Goodell does a couple things here and there, and then there's guys in MotoGP that do their thing in F1, but it's so cool to have this open dialogue between the media guys and the highest level of the sport and us knowing what's happening and where we're going because for so long we needed that, and that's only going to help us drive forward. Yeah, no, we're excited too, man. Love talking to you guys and let's, let's keep doing it. Cool. Thanks, Dave. It was good to talk to you. Thanks, Michael.